2: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastik These days, it feels like we're living in an empire well into its decline. The United States is the wealthiest country in the world, with the most advanced, well-financed military on the planet. And yet, given our response to the pandemic, the financial collapse, and worrying rates of unemployment and eviction, not to mention the prospects for a chaotic November election— it's hard to avoid the comparison to the Roman Empire, which, as you may remember, fell. Quite far, and quite possibly in part because of a plague brought on by climate change. So this week, we're revisiting our 2017 interview with the classicist, Kyle Harper, who in his book, The Fate of Rome, Climate, Disease, and the End of an Empire, advanced a new theory about why and how the empire fell. At the time of its decline, it stretched from Syria to Spain and from the Nile to Scotland's doorstep. Rome had managed centuries of unbroken rule, a unified commonwealth, and at one point nearly a quarter of the world's population. And then it all came tumbling down. The decline and fall of Rome has been a favored subject of armchair theorists for as long as there have been armchairs. And alarmingly, Kyle Harper's hypothesis points to many of the same problems we're wrestling with today. He joins us from the University of Oklahoma, where he teaches. Thanks for being on the show, Kyle.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.
2: So what's different about the argument that you're making about the fall of Rome?
1: Well, you're exactly right. There's no shortage of hypotheses. In fact, there's probably uh, more hypotheses than there is problem to explain. But what's really exciting is that over the last few years, we, we have new information. And we don't always get that in ancient history, although... Given the fact that there's great archaeology and there's always new texts being discovered and new interpretations, even ancient history is always changing. But the last few years have been really stunning. The, the new information that we have, thanks largely to natural scientific disciplines like paleoclimatology and like uh, genomics, for historians, has been really an unexpected um, bonanza of of new insights. And so we we can now understand things about the the world that the Romans lived in that that we just simply didn't know five or ten years ago. And that includes new information about the history of the climate and the ways that it has varied and changed over the the last few millennia. And it includes, in particular, new insights into – biological change, the, the evolution of pathogens, new germs that have evolved and arrived on the scene and had an enormous impact on life and death in the Roman Empire and really uh, added entirely new dimensions to the way we can understand the ancient past.
2: So what is your big argument about Rome? How have you managed to incorporate this new information into a new hypothesis about Rome's fall?
1: The the big argument is that the environment is one of the major factors in the process that we call the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And the environment is not stable. And it's a major agent. It's a major player in history. It's not this unchanging backdrop against which humans play out their their own history. The environment is, is part of the, the story itself, and environmental change has profound ramifications for the Roman Empire. That includes both changes in the climate. The Romans built their empire at a period of climate history when conditions were very favorable. If you're trying to build a civilization whose economy is built on agriculture in this particular part of the world, the circum-Mediterranean region, and the Romans, when they're building their empire, benefit from a favorable and relatively stable climate. And the centuries of the Roman Empire's demise uh, are a period of of climate change, of turbulence, of disturbance in the climate system, and we can even have enough um, resolution to to really focus in on some specific moments when specific episodes of climate change really undermined the the project of Roman Empire. So that's part one of the the big picture argument, and then part two is new germs that the evolution of new bacteria and new viruses is a profoundly destabilizing force. And the Romans were always uh, unhealthy. They lived in, a, in an underdeveloped society. And uh, it's easy for us to, to look at the monuments of Roman imperialism and to forget that they lived in a world that was almost unimaginably different in terms of the experience of life and death, of health and disease average life expectancy was always very low. Uh, But then the the kind of background of diseases that infect the Romans changes with the arrival of new pathogens um, like quite possibly the smallpox virus and absolutely certainly the plague bacterium, a bacterium called Yersinia pestis, whose arrival in the Roman Empire in the sixth century is one of the most important factors of change that among its consequences includes the the fall of the Roman Empire.
2: It seems like the study of history has now expanded into being paleobiology and paleogenetics and paleo pretty much everything under the sun. How do you deal with that, I guess, expansion of the field? Has it changed your approach to history at all?
1: Absolutely. I think it's really one of the most exciting things happening in the field. And the only way to to practice that kind of history is through team team efforts, team science, and collaboration between people who are microbiologists or experts in genetics or immunology or or earth science, working with historians because it's such a challenge to develop the the kind of deep disciplinary knowledge. You know, it takes decades to to have um, competence in. Greek and Latin and understanding the documentary record and developing the kind of sensitivity to what the, what the historical record that's left by humans says. And it takes that same depth of disciplinary training to be able to understand an ice core or a genome.
2: So how have the records changed and evolved with regard to the environment? What can we really know about what temperature it was or, or how much it rained or whether the diseases that they wrote about are the same ones that we're talking about now?
1: Right. Really good questions. So over the last 150 years or so, human civilization um, has uh, learned how to exploit fossil fuels on a mass scale. And uh, the consequences of that include massive changes in the atmosphere's chemistry that are driving global climate change on on a massive scale and in a terrifying way. So there's been a really urgent need to understand that how does the climate system work because we can't understand how we're changing the climate without understanding the history of the climate the way that the earth system itself works so natural scientists who certainly aren't starting with uh, uh trying to form hypotheses about roman history are trying to understand the history of the climate and to do that they They explore what I call natural archives. So these aren't written records, but they are historical records that are preserved in different ways across the earth. And this includes ice cores. Tree rings are especially important, very highly resolved uh, historical records of temperature and precipitation, uh, marine and lake deposits, pollen records, and so on – all contribute to a really rich picture of what the climate was like in the ancient past. So that's one kind of, of natural archive. The other that I use in the book is um, genomes. Genes are, are a historical record. We're carrying around information about our ancestors, and the same is true not just of humans but also of pathogens. and. The amount of genomic data that's available now is just mind-boggling, and it's become far more affordable uh, to to sequence genomes, and it's uh, become far more possible to sequence ancient or archaeological genomic data. So one of the really important things that's happened is the ability to recover DNA evidence from, um, you might call it, um, murders that were committed thousands of years ago. <laughs> Archaeologists go and can extract from skeletons, um, in some cases, the, the actual DNA of the pathogen that was responsible for the death of the, the victim. And in, in the case of the, the most important episode that I talk about in my book that is called The Justinianic Plague. It's actually the first plague pandemic. So it's the first Black Death. It's the same bacterium that causes the more famous medieval Black Death of the the mid-14th century, actually strikes in the middle of the sixth century. And it's as compelling as any DNA evidence in any courtroom. We actually know what killed these people in the sixth century. And not only do we know what species it was, that it was this particular bacterium that that caused the black death that's actually still out there today but we can even start to piece together how it evolved what are the specific genetic mutations that that this um that this particular bacterium had at this particular moment in its evolutionary history and that's really powerful to be able to say what are the virulence factors what are the like what's the microbiology of this pathogen that let it caused destruction on this scale that's really, really difficult to fathom. The, the plague in the middle of the 6th century may have killed as many as uh, half of the population. It killed tens of millions of people.
2: Yeah, that number is so big, it's almost hard to imagine. And, and that plague was the final death knell in what you sketch out as this four-act tragedy of Roman history. So after the Antonine Plague, after the crisis of the 3rd century, and after the western half of the Roman Empire falls completely apart. Only the Eastern Roman Empire is left, but eventually that that too falls. So can you set the scene for us for the period before the Justinian plague, before this fourth stage of transformation that, that ultimately ends in the empire's collapse?
1: Sure. The fourth moment of transformation really interrupts this extraordinary renaissance that the, the Eastern Roman Empire was enjoying. And In the first decade of his rule, the Roman emperor Justinian manages to um, codify all of Roman law, so we think of the Justinianic Code. He manages to reconquer Africa and is nearly finished reconquering Italy. He's putting the Roman Empire back together. He goes on this massive building spree that includes some of the most famous buildings of the ancient world, including the Hagia Sophia. Things are really going well for Justinian when all of a sudden— the Roman Empire is struck by the most important episode of rapid climate change that we know of from the ancient world, triggered by a series of volcanic eruptions that induce sudden and really violent cooling in the the climate system. And right on the heels of this uh, extraordinary moment of, of climate change, Comes the most devastating biological event that we know of from the ancient world: the arrival of bubonic plague. And what we know of is the the plague of Justinian is uh, this terrifying uh, biological uh, disaster that kills off maybe half the population and sends the the what was a resurgent Roman Empire into a tailspin. And we can watch sort of in slow motion the failure of the empire in the aftermath of this environmental crisis.
2: So was it just bad luck that this double whammy of a plague and an ice age hit at the same time? Or was there something else going on? Was there some kind of vicious cycle between like disease ecology and then this sudden climate change and human activity?
1: That's a great question. And we don't know all the answers to that exact question. And it's, I think, an important frontier of research right now. I would say that it really there's two different answers to your question. One is that the human role in this feedback system is pretty limited, although there is an important human role. The, the plague could not have struck if the Romans hadn't built a massive trading system um, with the East because we have very good reason to believe that the plague bacterium is imported into the Roman empire across the indian ocean up the red sea and enters the roman empire uh, on the mediterranean shores of egypt and so there's a there's a human role in creating the the system or the structure that let the plague spread and we can we can reconstruct that the the roman way of life the cities that they built the grain storage systems that they built were actually integral to the ecology of the the disease and so the the human Im- involvement includes setting up the kind of ecological platform for this massive plague pandemic but there's also this this enormous role of as you put it bad luck um you know the romans don't cause the episode of climate change. Volcanic eruptions do, and it has nothing to do with with human activity in this case. And the the climate downturn is just one piece of it, but the climate downturn itself probably has some role in triggering the plague pandemic, the, the outbreak of the bubonic plague. And right now, we don't fully understand that. And, and in the book, I try to be careful in hypothesizing and say we don't yet and may never fully understand the mechanisms that connect one to the other. But uh, the the analogy I'd use, it's, it, you, you hear a bang and um, then you see someone fall. You know there's a connection between these two. And in this case, we see the bang. There's this unbelievable series of volcanic eruptions that suddenly cool the climate. And then, boom, just a few years later, you have this uh, disease outbreak that's unlike anything that's happened before. And the the disease itself yersinia pestis the network of vectors the rodents the fleas uh, all of those are sensitive to their environment to the climate so there's i think i think everyone suspects that there's some relationship between the climate event and the biological event but it's a it's an open question exactly how that mechanism works what i think we can say is that there is a human role there's there's a feedback between the the global system that the romans had built their food system the way that that creates an ecology that's conducive to the plague and then there's this really extraordinary role of of sheer luck of of bad luck of of fortune
2: so your book is a work of history and you know what they say about it repeating so what kind of parallels do you see to our own time with rapid globalization, imperialism, and climate change converging on a worldwide scale?
1: Well, it's it's a hard question. And, and our world is very different from the world of the Romans. Climate change in our world is driven by human activity and not by essentially natural processes. And we have germ theory. We have... Um, sanitation. We have global public health. Uh, and and we have a, a much better chance of being resilient in the face of these kinds of environmental catastrophes. But I do think that there are lessons. I think that that the story of the Roman Empire serves to deepen our sense of how dependent human societies are upon the natural environment. This is a really integral part of the success and failure of societies and how societies adapt and respond to the challenges of climate change is really fundamental. I hope it deepens our sense of that. And then on the the disease side in particular, we live in a globally interconnected society. And what we call emerging infectious diseases are, I think, one of the most important dangers that we collectively face as as a species, as a global community. And so, We might think of the Romans as this ancient civilization that live in this world that's unimaginably different. On the other hand, maybe they're a little more like us than than we might think. They actually, in some ways, are the beginning of a more modern world. They are becoming globally aware. They are building connections between societies that let emerging infectious diseases travel further and faster than they ever had. And what is absolutely the same about the world of the Romans and the world that we live in is that evolution is constant and it's very dangerous. And the, the Romans fell victim to what was essentially random evolutionary tinkering with the genomes of viruses and bacteria and the unintended, unforeseeable effects of those evolutionary changes ultimately overwhelmed their capacity to withstand them, and those same processes are happening today. Um, germs are evolving uh, all over the world, and I think that maybe maybe history can give us a, a deeper sense of the the longer story of our relationship with the environment and with pathogens and their evolution, and maybe. Uh, cause us to to be more aware of how fundamental those are in the, the success and failure of human societies.
2: For more on how history, genetics, paleontology, paleobiology, and all of these other wonderful fields intersect, check out Kyle Harper's book, The Fate of Rome. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.